Happy birthday, Brazier. The men around the world salute you. You're the reason men have been frustrated for years. Tearing, pulling, grabbing, trying to figure a way to rid you of your burdens. Yes, Brazier, you've been a great deal of help to two of man's best friends. Here's hoping you last another hundred years and think about some kind of Velcro hook to make things easier for Mr. Fingers. Billy Shoehorn made it through the primaries, and now he's the party's candidate for state comptroller, whatever that is. I don't think Billy even knows. Billy Shoehorn did a bunch of really gross things that you won't bother to Google and find out aren't true. That's how much people hate Billy Shoehorn. Let me ask you one question. Do you want Billy Shoehorn comptrolling you? Let me answer that question, too. No, red-blooded Americans want to be in comptroll of themselves. That's what America is all about. Vote no against Billy Shoehorn. Paid for by citizens who think Shoehorn is a wiener. Your ears are about to be filled with the Duck Logic Comedy Half Hour. 28 minutes or so of sketch comedy, songs, and whatnot pulled from the audio vaults of Duck Logic, a Chicago improv group that produced a two hour comedy show called The Cavalcade on WLUP AM 1000 Radio in Chicago. Plus, new things thrown in for good measure. So kick back and enjoy a wacky walk down Comedy Street with Duck Logic because oh, they're a clutch of comedy studs. Just a clutch of comedy studs. Hardly ever making comedy duds, those loony, silly, whacked-out comedy studs. Good morning, boys and girls. I'm Edie, the breakfast fairy, with a daily diet calendar. Today's food is, mmm, pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice is a good thing, try some every single day. Pumpkin spice is a good thing, makes your troubles go away. Pumpkin spice is a good thing, try some, yes you can. So make some pumpkin spice part of your breakfast plan. Good morning, pumpkin spice. Can you tell the boys and girls what you're made of? Why, thanks, Edie. While I'm called pumpkin spice, I don't actually contain any pumpkin. Instead, I'm typically a blend of cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, cloves, and allspice with just a dash of white privilege. My original blend can be traced back as far as 1791, but I really hit my stride in 2003 when Starbucks put me in their lattes. After that, I spread like a coal sore at a frat party. Now every autumn, I'm shoehorned into any product the marketing guys can think of. Twinkies, Oreos, Cheerios, yogurt, bagels, beer, milk bones, candles, lipstick, deodorant, dishwashing liquid, trash bags, pretty much everything but pumpkin pies. Yes, pumpkin spice is a good thing, and I'm easy to get sick of real fast. Thank you, Pumpkin Spice. And remember, boys and girls, you are what you eat. Do you get the feeling that life is passing you by? Are you tired of the same old grind day in and day out? Have you had it with the endless repetition of the adult world? 
Has your patience with the mundane been pushed to its limit? Are you fed up with reoccurring situations that take the mystery and adventure out of living? Do the established national rituals leave you a little unfulfilled? Is your ability to accurately predict daily routines beginning to get on other people's nerves? Have you observed a deficiency of memorable moments in your weekly schedule? Does the road you drive to work seem to have permanent grooves especially designed to fit your car? Do you find yourself mouthing along with the dialogue during reruns of I Love Lucy, The Honeymooners, or even Gilligan's Island? Have you considered internally that your sphere of reality governs you completely? Then you're one of millions of Americans. Hello and welcome to The Mighty Pen, the show that explores new directions in literature from the past and present, occasionally merging the two. I'm your host, Garnett Stevenson, and tonight we'll be focusing on famous playwright Arthur Miller, and more specifically on his classic, Death of a Salesman, first performed in 1946. Over the 41 years since its opening, the lead role of Willie Loman has been interpreted by quite a range of performers, coming alive with Lee J. Cobb in the original and dying in the 70s with any Tom, Dick, or Harry that could join a community ensemble. By this time, there had been a Chinese version, an all-black version, a death of a saleswoman, and a death of a salesperson. Everyone assumed the play had finally run its course. But death was brought back to life in the mid-80s by one of comedy's leading actors, Dustin Tootsie Hoffman, showing us all that he could do a good dramatic job as well. Even though each performer over the years has brought his or her own special traits to the role, the play itself has remained virtually unchanged, standing the test of time that makes it the kind of classic high schoolers will be forced to read for an eternity. All this could change this weekend, however, as the latest version of Death opens on Chicago's trendy North Side. A small group of actors, best known for their continuing series of local commercials for the Empire Carpet Company, have formed a theater group called the Empire Repertory Theater Company, and their first production is entitled Death of a Carpet Salesman. Tonight, we'll be listening to an exclusive preview of Death of a Carpet Salesman, starring the Lincoln Carpet Man, that older, balding guy with glasses and a mustache, Frederick Young, a very tall man that can do over 232 voices, including three different Popeyes as the Devil, Deborah Samuel, the girl with the unforgettable raven-like quality as Linda, Robert Sweeter and his Nick Cap as Biff, and Jay Berg as Happy. A melody is heard, played on a flute. The curtain rises. Before us is the carpet salesman's house. We are aware of towering, angular shapes behind it, surrounding it on all sides. Only the blue light of the sky falls upon the house. An air of the dream clings to the place, a dream rising out of the reality. At center there's the kitchen. There is a kitchen table with three chairs and a refrigerator. The floor is covered with a sculptured stained master carpeting that was delivered in 24 hours. To the right of the kitchen, on a level raised two feet, is a bedroom furnished only with a brass bedstead and straight chair. Thick, wall-to-wall -wall shag starting at 6.95 a yard covers the floor to add to the drama. On a shelf over the bed, a silver athletic trophy stands. Behind the kitchen, on a level raised six and a half feet, is the boy's bedroom. Two beds are dimly seen, 
but the deep pile and polyfoam padding on the dark brown carpeting really sets a mood. At the left, a stairway curves up to it from the kitchen. From the right, Willie Loman, the carpet salesman, enters, carrying two large sample cases and some carpet swatches. The flute plays on. He unlocks the door, comes into the kitchen, and thankfully lets his burden down. Linda, his wife, stirs in her bed, gets out and puts on a robe, listening. She stops to feel the rug under her feet. Willie! It's all right. I came back. Why? What happened, Willie? No, nothing happened. Don't you feel well? I'm tired to death. I just couldn't take it, Linda. You look terrible. I got as far as a little above Highland Park. I was driving along, you understand? I was even observing the scenery. And then all of a sudden, I have such thoughts. I have such strange thoughts. I guess Highland Park is already carpeted. The boy's in. They're sleeping. Abby took Biff on a date tonight. They still can't get any girls, huh? I don't know, Willie. They're your sons. Dad! You're home to do. Happy Biff. We didn't mean to wake you. It's all right. I gotta talk to Pop. Go ahead. What is it this time? Listen to the boy, Willie. I'm leaving home, Pop. Today I realized something. I can't stay here and watch you kill yourself. Kill myself? Where would you get the idea that I would kill myself? The way you tote those swatches all over the north side. I'm a carpet salesman, damn it. But these are the 80s, Pop. People want their carpeting as fast as their burgers or their contact lenses or their liposuction. I'm not in the suction business. I sell rugs. But nobody buys your rugs, Pop. <gasps> no, they don't. Oh, my God. If you didn't have to stay there. Yes, I did, Hap. What do you know? You work for Victory Auto Wreckers. De habla espanol, Biffo boy. Look, Pop, all this carpeting we got, this wall-to-wall pleasure that deadens the sound and keeps our feet warm, we got this in only one day from, um... um Say it. Go ahead. From Empire. Oh, Willie. <laughs> Your mother ordered it. I, I was tired of waiting. So you went behind my back. Listen, Pop, I'm leaving now, and I'm taking the Bissell rug shampooer. Go ahead. Pick that damn t-shirt, too. Pop, you're never going to see what I am, so what's the use of arguing? If I strike oil, I'll send you a check. Meantime, forget I'm alive. Spite, see? I'm a dime a dozen, Pop, or maybe $6.95 a yard, and so are you. You're a remnant. Stop killing yourself. I'm leaving. I'm not a dime a dozen or $6.95 a yard, remnant. I'm Willie Loman, carpet salesman. Yes, you are, Willie. What? The devil? Yes, Willie. I'm the devil. But only you can see me, kind of like I'm bewitched. Stop carrying on. You're gonna kill yourself. What's with the suicide stuff? Carpeting in one day? Rug shampoos? I can't handle this. Stay away from that butcher knife, Willie. What? And that rope. That's a long, very strong piece of rope, you know. Look, I'm not gonna kill myself. Hey, who are you trying to kid? I'm the devil. See the horns? You're down, depressed. It's the 80s. Rush, rush, rush. People want their rugs fast, fast, fast. Yeah, I know. Hey, stay away from that oven. That's a gas oven, right? It sure is. I am a remnant. Yeah, and you're tired of being treated like a throw rug, a roll end. Uh, what's this, a, a gun? How'd that get into my pocket? Hey, keep that away from me. I feel okay. So what if my carpeting takes two weeks to be delivered? So what if I don't bribe people with free gifts? Yeah, 
So what if no one buys from you? Hey, Willie, what would Popeye say to you, huh? Let's go out into the garage. There's lots of carbon monoxide out there. Hard, hard, hard. I do two other Popeyes too, Willie. Ooh, stay away from that chainsaw, Willie. Willie? Watch out. Willie? That'll be your death. Willie? And there you have it. Death of a Carpet Salesman by the Empire Repertory Theater Company. Opening this weekend in the newly carpeted Remnants Theater in Uptown Chicago. We can only hope this doesn't give any ideas to Harry Schmerler, your singing Tennessee Ernie Ford dealer. This is Garnett Stevenson saying, tune in next time to The Mighty Pen, when we'll be studying Margaret Alice Jennings, an extremely short woman who has a hard time reaching her typewriter. Good night. Jim might be the only one who remembers this story. We were at the funny firm, and they had a back room. We, I don't know. We were, must have been in between sets, or I don't know why. We, we were in a back room. Most people will call that a loading dock. Loading dock. Yeah, it was. It was. It was literally like boxes of stuff, Maraschino's cherries or whatever. It wasn't at all like an actor's lounge or <laughs> a green room for comedians. It wasn't that. But we were just back there for some reason, and they had a window that was up high, a long thin window that was up high and for some reason we're it looked out onto the parking lot ditka's parking lot yeah did yeah ditka's restaurant was was back to back and so there was their parking lot and for some reason we just happened to be looking over there jim and i were looking peeking out over and there was a car <laughs> literally parked like right there careful walter face remember this is adult territory do you remember the story jim how could i it's still i can't erase it from my memory <laughs> It looked suspicious at first because it literally was like a guy sitting behind the wheel and he's kind of looking down, you know, looking down. Is he like, what is he? What is he? Tells he just, he's not moving much. <laughs> he's moving a little. I hope this isn't a Chloe Savini movie. <laughs> anyway, there, all of a sudden this woman pops up from his lap <laughs> and sits in the passenger seat and we realized what they were doing. They were auditioning. <laughs> yeah. The days of wine and roses. And then I thought that she like got out of the car. Yes. And she squatted. <laughs> yeah. And, and she like And she took something out of a very personal space. There we go. Yeah. And dumped it on the ground there. Yeah. And then kind of jumped back in. And then they started doing some other sort of act. And then I swear the guy looked up. We were like just eyeballs, like two little kids. <laughs> like little rascals. <laughs> like little, that's what we were, rascals. Dennis the Menace. We were, it was just you and me, Jim, wasn't it? I don't, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we're like. Yeah. And the guy looks up and sees us. And then they just, oh, he starts the car and they drive away. Let's find another parking lot. Yeah, well, yeah, well, they were right <laughs> they were in the middle club. Yeah. They might just move a couple of spaces over. It was just the fact that they parked right in front of the window. Apparently, I mean, you know, who would be there? That's their loading dock. Why would there be comedians looking at us while we were? And it was really well lit, if I remember correctly. It yeah. was pretty, pretty, it wasn't like. Yeah, they became a member of the Mile Low Club. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That happens a lot in Ditka parking lots, the Ditkas. Oh. There's one. That was You'll not... never go that low. We have a Ditka's now in Wheaton, my friend. Yeah, yeah, and that's how they get most of their money is renting out yeah. parking mm. spaces to young couples to Nothing wrong. whatever. They weren't particularly young. The guy wasn't. Well, they weren't old, though. I thought they were just our age. 
It's got to be near a comedy club because everybody knows like a comedy club, probably a safe place for that, though. <laughs> yeah. Because comics are not going to like come out of there. They're not going to, you know, or, you know, go right up to the car. Well, no, they're just going to watch. A la Night of the Living Dead. They're just going to watch from 10 feet away up in the window. <laughs> just like just their eyeballs sticking up. Yeah, with little hands on there. Kilroy was here. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, I was just going to say, it's like Kilroy just looking up. What's going on over that car? Ah, <laughs> uh, comedy. You know, what can I say? The observation of life. You know what? <laughs> yeah, it's observation comedy. We should have done a skit about it, except we didn't have any women in the group, so that would be a problem right there. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> let me show you what happened. Good, we need a volunteer from the audience. <laughs> and now we take you to dot, 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 a parking lot. If we can have an object. <laughs> uh, you know what? That couple's been married seventy-eight years. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you know what? They could. What would they? They would be. You know, like thirty-year anniversary if they're still together. Yeah. You know, I doubt that they were a couple. Oh yeah. Oh. You think they were? You think she was? Uh, Strangers in the night. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Exchange. Exchanging fluids. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. We knew it was going there. <laughs> oh, did you? We knew that jalopy was heading down that road. <laughs> no brakes. <laughs> no brakes. I had to make my own brakes. With a handful of gimme and a mouthful of much obliged. Billy Shoehorn doesn't like ice cream. He says it's too cold and it hurts his teeth. And who wants a state comptroller with sensitive teeth who hates ice cream and probably hates puppies, too? Keep Billy Shoehorn and his wimpy little chompers out of the comptroller's office. Vote for whoever's not Billy Shoehorn. Paid for by citizens who think Shoehorn is a wiener. It's time once again for Tales from the Toll Booth. Another page ripped from the log of Tollbooth Attendant 468. This episode, The Big Dark Car. I'll never forget that night. It must have been three in the morning. I remember it was raining. The highway was slicker than deer guts on a doorknob. This big car pulls up with dark tinted windows. Somebody rolls down the window and there's this beautiful blonde. And she's at the wheel. She's completely naked except for her smile. She tells me she ain't got a dime. I let her through anyway. That's a true story. Hello, this is Healthview, and tonight we're going to be taking a long look at buttocks implants. A close look, uh, as close as ethically possible. Second only to breast implants, butt implants have rapidly become one of the most popular unnecessary surgical operations of our time. Plus, they help us to pass off open and candid talk about the private parts of a woman's anatomy as a public service message, allowing us to almost completely bypass the censors. What kind of woman chooses derriere implants? It's hard to pin down, actually, but over 100,000 have undergone this procedure, and more are every day, even though dangerous side effects have been found in some women. Mrs. Janet Slopsky explains her position. <laughs> to tell the truth, I don't really care what other people think about me, really. I'm doing this for myself. I just won't feel good about myself as a woman until I can look in the mirror and see that my tush is bigger. 
Mrs. Slopsky allowed me to witness her operation and also to bring along a tape recorder to give you a sort of play-by-play -play running dialogue of the entire thing. Let's go to that now. Okay, as we start here, I can see that Mrs. Slopsky has been prepped and she's lying face down on a table. Um, she's covered up almost completely by this large white sheet and it's got a hole right in the center. Um, now through this hole is protruding what, in this reporter's opinion, is a perfectly fine example of a feminine set of cheeks. I mean, the curves are right where they belong and the entire surface is pretty smooth. Heck, if we were in a hospital, I'd be tempted to toss some loose change on the floor. <laughs> to put it in other words, I mean, she looks okay to me. Hey, Doc, you mind if I get a closer look? <laughs> We're just about to start, so stare at your eye, please. Okay, well, um, see, the nurse is handing a needle to the doctor, loaded, looks like a local anesthetic, and he's holding it up now and squirting out a few drops, and as they slide down the length of the needle, they glisten in the intense light of the operating room. He's now approaching Mrs. Slopsky's caboose, and she's slowly pressing the needle against her skin. The skin is trying not to give into the needle's uh, wish as it sinks down a bit before the needle finally pokes through, breaking the skin and, and entering the fleshy mass underneath. As the doctor's thumb carefully depresses the plunger, you can see the area around the needle swelling up a bit and just kind of getting hard, a little like the skin of a football. In, in fact, it's sort of gross. I... <coughs> I got. I got. I, I just hold on a second. I gotta look away a second. This is <laughs> really a lot. Uh, are you okay, buddy? No, uh, are you gonna be all right? No, I'm fine. I see this kind of thing all the time. Really? No, I'm. I'm okay. It must be the air in here. It's probably. It's pretty stuffy in this operating room. Um. Let's see. Let me just get a breath. Okay, that's better. Where where were they? Oh, they're getting ready um, to make the first incision. The precision edge of the scalpel is gliding through the soft cushion of Mrs. Slopsky's rear end like a machete through softened butter. Uh, the blood is beginning to flow and... Is anybody else feeling hot? Oh, oh, wow, man, he passed out. Uh, what should we do? Just leave him there, he's Carlisle. Well, anyway, the surgery went on after my unfortunate mishap, and I'm led to believe that they inserted what amounts to a heavy plastic baggie filled with polyethylene jelly into each of her cheeks. Personally, I'll admit that with her clothes off, Mrs. Slopsky's butt is bigger. Not better, but certainly bigger. However, with her clothes on, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Yet she feels a lofty price of $10,500 was worth it. Uh, I really do feel more like a whole woman. And that help adds something to all my relationships. Besides, I'm always much more comfortable at ball games or at the picnic table or, or even like riding the bus. You know, some people never develop a positive self-image. I was lucky enough to be able to buy an artificial self-image, and I'm here to tell you that it's every bit as good, I think. Some women don't turn out as well as Mrs. Slopsky, though. Mrs. Elvina Jackson had this to say. I had my surgeries over six months ago, and I look great, mighty fine. I told the doctor to make me as big as Oprah, and that's just what he did. My new derriere was an instant hit at parties, especially with men, you know, and TikTok and such. But you know, three months later, something mighty strange happened. I was out driving in my Escalade, 
and we were in the middle of a cold snap, right? You remember? And uh, the jelly in my backside got froze, solid as a rock. I've been stuck in the sitting position ever since. I declined Miss Jackson's kind offer to attend her second surgical section, but I did record a few things she had to say afterwards. Yeah, my doctor told me there'll be more complications, but nothing like a rock-hard butt. I'm gonna need more operations, they tell me. Five, six, maybe ten more. Sure hope my body can tolerate such an enormous amount of artificial stuffing. It was sure worth it to me, though, because doctors say when they're all done, I'll have a perfect Kardashian behind. Just like back in my pole dancing days. Are cosmetic butt implants really worth it? People who like to play God say yes. No one else can figure out why. Join us again tomorrow when a new surgical procedure for removing unwanted pubic hair allows us to talk legitimately about penises and vaginas on Health View. What happens when four loudheads from the loony side of London form a rock and roll band? Tune in each day at 5 p.m. and find out the rocky results on the new Sex Pistols. If you thought the old Sex Pistols were out of this world, you'll love the slapstick knee-slapping of punk rock's own Four Stooges. The new Sex Pistols. We got a gig tomorrow, so don't show up on time like you did last week, Bonehead. But a bloody contract said... Who said you could read contracts, eh? Yeah, he said he could read anything. <laughs> I'm going out and find some drugs. Yeah, pick me up some fags and a six-pack. The things you lads think of. We don't think of anything, Glenn. In fact, we don't think. Never mind the bollocks. Meet the new Sex Pistols, coming to Radio 1 every day at 5 p.m. Meet Zippy, the obnoxious turd that everyone loves to stomp on. You ain't gonna stomp on a man with glasses. You ain't got glasses. I'm gonna get some. There's Bonehead, the bass player with the annoying habit of meeting weak women with a penchant for social diseases and schizophrenia. I gotta go for my physica today, and I've got what all over my tongue. Who's the last person you had sex with? Nodos. Oh, Noodles, who was the last personality you had sex with? That little girl Bobby, the dominant she-warrior? Abby, the frustrated marathon dancer? Oh, I can't remember, she changes all the time. Kinda makes it tough to hold a conversation, I bet. Nah, we just copulate or get drunk. How about Knuckles, the violent drummer who's always bouncing ideas off the other band members? Cause I says it's a good idea. Bloody let me down. Okay, but only if you let me smash your nose with a garbage can lid. And they're all pieced together by Glenn, the smart one. First we swear at everyone, then we spit on them, and then and only then do we vomit all over stage. Vomiting, urinating in public, and scratching their privates. It's all part of the grown-up punk world of the new Sex Pistols. And every week, someone tries to overdose on a different drug. From the people who brought you the new monkeys, the new Gidget, and the new Star Trek, it's the new Sex Pistols. Every day at 5 p.m. on Radio 1. God save the Queen, the boys are back. Billy Shoehorn would make a terrible comptroller, whatever it is they do. And that's according to some guys on the internet. He isn't the kind of guy you'd want to sit down and have a beer with. Why? Because Billy Shoehorn drinks red wine. That's right, red wine. And there's a rumor he puts ketchup on his hot dogs. Who even does that? Socialist, that's who. Billy Shoehorn. Wrong for comptroller, 
whatever that is, wrong for America. Paid for by citizens who think Shoehorn is a wiener. Well, there you have it. The Duck Logic Comedy Half Hour, show number 70. Featuring in alphabetical order, David Dunlosky, Tom Giannis, Walter Mitchka, James F. Russell, and the always scintillating Tim Thomas. Edie's theme by Steve Meisner. Some sound effects by zapsplat.com. Subscribe. You know you want to. Check out our Facebook page. And our website's pretty cool. It's uh, ducklogiccomedy.com. Portions of this podcast were previously broadcast on the radio all over the Midwest under the copyright of Duck Logic Limited and the licenses of WLUP AM and FM in Chicago. You have a nice day now.